dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome back to Dropping the Hammer with Daniel McFadden. I'm Daniel McFadden, NASCAR uh, reporter for Frenchrush.com and Speedsport.com. Uh, here to talk to, talk about Darlington Raceway, the Southern 500, and the NASCAR season so far. And with me this week as my guest is technically someone who also works for Speedsport a little bit on, on the video side while, while I hide behind a keyboard. And mm-hmm. uh, with me this week is Alan Kavana. How are you doing, Alan? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's uh, I love the name. I, I love the color scheme of the podcast. Very old school. Very obviously Days of Thunder. What, what could be better than that? Yeah, it, it was a match, match made in heaven. Um, so, yes, the Dar- Southern 500, Darlington Raceway, my favorite track on the schedule. Um, and it produced, uh, according to Jeff Gluck's Good Race Poll, the best race of the year at 93.5%. So that's the new number one. So Alan, would you say that that was the best race of the year? That's a good question. I mean, look, it had a lot of drama, right? It gave us what we want, right? We want that race to be tough. We want that race to be hard as a playoff race. And we want the best of the best to struggle. And that's what we saw. I mean, you think about the best race of the year as voted by the fans and Chase Elliott, you know, crashed out a third of the way into it. That's saying something about how good they thought the racing was. Uh, Yeah, I think when you mix next gen car and the what you can see out of it with the track that makes you perform, uh, I think, you know, from a fan's perspective, I think they saw a great race. So like up until like, I don't know if I would have said it it was the best race of the year. There was a lot happening in this race and it was never boring for sure. Um, I thought the Watkins Glen race just, just a few weeks ago, that was up there. For me, like just start to finish. Yep. Like cow, what are we getting today? Rain, um, first stage, all that. Yeah. Like, the, I think part part of the reason for me was like Michael McDowell was in the mix until the end. Like he probably he might might not have been on any other occasion, but like just the fact that he was like up until like the final restart yeah. or so had a say that that, that that kind of put that over the top for me. But we got an Eric Jones number forty three win. Uh, 55 years to the day after Petty last won at Darlington. It boggled my mind that Richard Petty only won Darlington three times and none of them were in the Winston Cup era. Did that surprise you? Interesting, yeah, because I had to look back when when they said it was only one one Southern 500 win. I went right right to racing reference. I'm like, that can't be right. But it was three wins at Darlington, but only one in the Southern 500, which is crazy when you think about, you know, the drivers like Jeff Gordon, the multi-time winners who who have won this race so many times, you know, Denny Hamlin, how many times he's won there. And to think Richard Petty of all people only won at once. That was uh, eye-opening to me. And so, but, and that contributes to, I think the good race poll is why we, you know, people love an underdog story. People love a surprise winner. What's a big surprise than a non-playoff driver winning the southern 500 uh so i think i think that all contributes and eric jones man made it happen he was the michael mcdowell of that race if you will hey well actually well michael mcdowell finished in the top 10 yeah man no he 34 is having a great year quietly especially for them 43 as well i mean that maybe some of that's on the next gen car and what it can bring in terms of parity or at least a level playing field when you take a little of the money and and decades of notebooks out of it right 
that's what we're seeing. And we're seeing good teams, smaller teams have mm-hmm. somewhat equal performance and the drivers really shine. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. The 43 and the 34 really are the cars or the teams that have shown the parody that is provided by this new car. Um, like with 10 top tens on uh, Eric Jones part, that that's the most, the 43 car itself has gotten since AJ Allmendinger got, uh, that same number in 2011. Wow. So, and uh, long time coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> McDowell's at 11 top tens, <laughs> which is six more than his previous high, um, which is just, just in- incredible. So, for um, for you this, this year with this car, and when, when you come to judging it, for you, what, what, what's been a good race with this car? How, how, do, you, how do you gauge it with it compared oh. to what we, we had like the last decade? That's always been such a hard question for me to answer. What's a good race? Every race is a good race to me. Like I've never seen a bad race. You know, I don't know. So I'm never, I never <laughs> answer this question correctly. I, I like every race. You know, some of them aren't as good as others, but who cares? Like, stop complaining. Uh, I don't know. I, I enjoy the parody. I like the competitiveness. I was thinking about the first Kansas race today, you know, back yeah. in the spring, you know, drivers spinning out by themselves, Kevin Harvick, mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of people spinning out by themselves, the best in the world, sort of losing it, hitting the wall by themselves. I love that aspect of this car. So th- those races are really great. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think back. I think everyone will point to Martinsville. You want Martinsville to be mm-hmm. a lot closer, uh, a lot beaten and banging. And there's some technical aspects and that kind of goes over my head sometimes. So, I yeah. mean, all the races are good to me. They could all be a little better, uh, but I've enjoyed the racing because I like names like Eric Jones being in the mix because, you know, driver talent is there. Sometimes it's the equipment that has separated them, especially in the past. And so when you can bring some of that driver talent to the forefront and equalize things out a little bit, I do love that aspect of the car so to me that's made a lot of the racing really good this year yeah the spinning out on their own thing like it felt like for like at least a three-year span the only cars we saw spinning out on their own were cody Ware, yeah and the other racing cars it's like it was it was too reliable which goes goes into this other conversation based on like everything we've seen over the last month or so with the car with fires and all that it's like well it could be a little bit more reliable um so, but it no, it has been seeing satisfying seeing guys just mess up. Like they're just on their own. Like, oops, my bad. Yeah, it's like, supposed to be hard, up. right? You want it to yeah. be difficult, and to finally see that where it's been a long time since we've seen drivers spinning out of their own or on that. You know, they they we try to market these guys or tell the story of how crazy it is and we know because we see it all the time we know what 180 miles per hour looks like but for that viewer that might only get to see it on tv talking about the edge that these drivers are on if they're not showing us that and for a long time the cars had so much downforce because you know it's kudos to the teams where they can find this engineering right they can find ways for this car to stick and that, it was weird that drivers are basically begging them not to do that even though it's their team whatever but basically nascar has <laughs> taken that decision and ability out at least at the moment i'm sure they'll refine it but to see these drivers to see the best of the best really have to the cream have to rise during these races and one mistake cost you everything that, that's compelling it really is so so far one race in the playoffs we've had an upset winner first time a non-playoff drivers won the opening race of the playoffs from from what i heard since the playoffs started back in 04 um and there's still so many guys left on the table who aren't in the playoffs who could win 
which is sure. just in- incredible to me. I mean, you still got Eric Almarola, you got Bubba Wallace, Martin Truex um, Jr. Martin Truex Jr. <laughs> like, he, like, yeah. I, 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 I start starting with this weekend. I, I made a word document, and I'm just gonna keep track of like all the playoff drivers to like have problems like in each race. So you maybe go back and say, well, they didn't advance because of this right here, and. Multiple times since Sunday, I've caught myself looking for Truex. Yeah. On on this word document, like, oh wait, he didn't make the playoffs. I don't know what hurts. I mean, obviously he wanted to win the Southern 500, but imagine winning that and not being a playoff driver. You know, a week after missing it by three spots. Uh, Obviously he wanted to win, but if I uh, winning after not making the playoffs, maybe not winning was a little bit easier to swallow since you weren't a playoff driver anyway. I I, I was just thinking about that. I was like, Martin Truex is really going to win this race after not being a playoff driver. Like, come on, man. But it didn't work out for the 19. So we got Kansas coming up, which you said you you were thinking about it earlier. Um, That the the, the race in the spring, uh, which I I covered in person, that that for me was the most memorable, entertaining Kansas race to my knowledge, I don't have an encyclopedic memory of oh, races yeah. at Kansas. I don't think anybody does. Um, so I, I, I came away from that race just very impressed because if there was like, I've, we've, I've talked about it multiple times on this podcast, there was like a top five tracks that this car needed to, to prove itself at, ne- needed, needed to reverse the tables on its own narrative. Kansas would have been up there. Auto Club, Charlotte Motor Speedway, uh richmond which really eh, eh, kansas that, that, that those would, would have been in the mix and can't i came away with kansas like it works it works at kansas it worked right <laughs> that's the craziest part about next gen like it worked at kansas right the 600 at charlotte was awesome and then think about the schedule because i just had to do this i was looking up stats man when's the last that we're going to kansas the traditional mile and a half What's the last mm-hmm. traditional mile and a half we were at? You go all the way back to May. We haven't been one all summer. Wow. Right? <laughs> we took so many off the schedule because the racing had gone like, eh. Now they get this car that makes the racing at these tracks amazing. We have to go back to May. The last two were Charlotte yep. and Kansas wow. back in May. I, that blew my mind when I thought about that. The, that that's been the, the weird thing about this is that for for a decade, the mile and a half were like the, the tracks we beat up on. Yeah, the, it was the like racing cookie cutter. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. though oh, they're not they're not all technically the same. <laughs> well, you know, the racing's the same yeah. for the most part. But now we get to this year, up is down, down is up. Uh, there's question marks around the short tracks, but we're consist- consistently getting, aside from Texas, <laughs> uh, entertaining races on intermediates. And so, yeah, I'm now looking forward to going back to a Kansas race for the first time. Um, yeah, that first is... race, I mean, we saw two great lines of racing, right, inside and up against the wall. Yeah. We saw drivers, good drivers, Tyler Reddick, I think maybe, Kevin Harvick spinning on their own, having issues. Uh, yeah, we saw a good race. I mean, Bubba Wallace, if you remember that. You know, yeah. he was going to have a great day. He finished 10th, and that was a huge disappointment because that was that day he had all the pit crew issues and, you know, ended up yelling at him and, you know, got a lot of coverage out of that. But uh, that, that 10th place should have been a lot better. So I would expect him to do even better this weekend, maybe contend for a win. Well, yeah, well, that was because, you know, his pit crew, mm. you know, made their presence known. <laughs> and since they did that, that pit crew swap, what, a month, month ago? Yeah, Something a little somewhere? bit. They, they we, made we a change. Heard. I remember that, yeah. 
Yeah, we haven't heard anything. It, no, it's and been, he's been running better. I mean, uh, he's so, top 10 in Darlington, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he was ninth. Yep. We, we're going to this race uh, where, and Toyotas have been like the cars to beat on fast intermediates. Yeah, going six, back to all Michigan. six Toyotas in the top 10 in, back in Kansas. Yeah, and then Michigan, Bubba Wallace had the car to beat. Yep. Got shows wrong on a restart. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I mean, I, I think Bubba Wallace is my pick to win this, this weekend. Nice. Um, so, I mean, it's highly possible we could start off the playoffs with two non-playoff drivers. Like, if you, if you could put odds on that, what do you think it would be? Oh, it's minuscule. It was like a few weeks ago when they hit that parlay at, uh, what, Daytona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at what, po- at, what point this, at what point this year did you allow yourself to think, oh, we might actually get 16 different winners? Like, oh, well into June. I was one of, you know, I was one of those old school haters. I'm like, never going to happen, never going to happen. And, and like when Bubba, I don't know, you know, didn't win Talladega, you know, we needed something crazy to happen at one of these races. And, yeah. uh, you know, and it didn't, you know, it, we didn't get the 16 winners. Um, well, did we? We, we, no, we did, but yeah, because we did, Kurt, because no Kurt, Kurt, yeah, so it, yeah, it was odd, but we we, we uh, did get sixteen winners. You get sixteen, but, huh? And now we and have now seventeen. We, so yeah, yeah, I'll admit I was wrong. Didn't think it was going to happen, um, especially when again guys like Martin Truex Jr. aren't winning races, yep. <laughs> and, and and the Bubba's of the world didn't win one of the Daytona or Talladegas. Uh, to have seventeen other drivers win is crazy. Yep. Absolutely. Like, uh, it, it was around, it was when Reddick run, bleh, won Road America. Yeah. That, that, w- that was when, okay, we might, this might still be a reality. <laughs> so, mm. I, I, I would not have guessed that we would have gotten this amount of parity um, with this car in the first year. If there was going to be any year that we got it, it would be this year. But I didn't, I never allowed myself to think that we'd actually be seeing what we're seeing like which is one of the most competitive seasons ever um, and then, and then part of that we're just we're conditioned to think that way because we've been race fans the last 20 or 30 years right <laughs> that way they've always talked about parody they've always talked about rule changes and new cars and like oh this is really gonna you know bring the pack together and then what would happen the hendrix and gibbs of the world would just you know the penskis of the world would still dominate for good reason so it, we were right to be skeptical and i think we're happy to be surprised with this next gen car because we've been hearing it for generations of cars mm-hmm. that oh this is the change that's going to make a big difference and bring the field together right and really create parity yeah we'd heard it before so natural skepticism is okay and I- i'm happy to be surprised at the parody <laughs> so who, who's your pick for kansas i'm i'm picking denny hamlin just just going okay. off of what we saw in kansas last time how fast the toyotas were one mm-hmm. there before obviously and just general overall a lot of speed um and it might come down to you know pit calls and track position denny hamlin's the kind of driver that win that going away how much of a chance do you give ty gibbs being you know with the team that won in the spring no i mean i don't give him any chance to win but yeah maybe his okay. first top 10 is it? no he had one before i think but yeah at least one yeah, first oval top ten or first you know significant top ten, whatever I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, we know that we know he has a fast car. We know he's a good driver, but again, it's the playoffs. Somehow, as we've learned, we've learned in this weird playoff elimination format, these drivers and teams do get better. So uh, I, I don't expect Ty Gibbs to contend on Sunday now. So at this point, who who is your 
your who are your picks to make the final four you know i didn't make a tree or a, a bracket and i don't know the, the week got away from me but uh <laughs> if you had asked me i would have picked you know larson and elliot probably logano i'm high on and then i haven't even picked a toyota yet so denny hamlin and, and those are four simple answers right and we always have one surprise so it's probably not going to be right but if i'm picking one toyota uh it's going to be hamlin and uh i i still the cream scene you know chase elliott's been the best car all year you got to pick him larson it comes to, i always think though it comes down to those last three races right if you think about three winners like who's going to win martinsville who's going to win what it's homestead now is that right and uh what's the other one in the other round but i think about who wins those three races those are yeah. the drivers that go on and then one wild card so the wild card to me will always be chase elliott because of the points advantage that he has so even if he doesn't win martinsville well, well, well had had yeah. after Dar darlington he's now ninth plus but 14. if he gets to the second round he gets all those points back again yeah so who knows what he can do so so my my, my final four was chase reddick harvick and blaney yeah i don't i, don't, I didn't have blaney, any interesting no my, my, my prediction was that blaney after being the last guy in no wins mm -hmm. would go on like a tony stewart in 2011 like tear and... all right so it's vegas homestead martinsville where how does reddick get to phoenix in those three races homestead for sure okay wins homestead yeah, yeah. Reddick, okay. okay, he, he will ride the he will ride the wall, man. Maybe a man. No, I'm just saying maybe, that's how I've always thought about the round of eight and who makes it to Phoenix is like you got to win Vegas, Homestead, or Martinsville. Who does those? That's three or four, and then you, you get one Vegas more. Too. So I just that, that, all Vegas right. Too. So he's got to win one of those. So, but no, if, if I'm if I'm placing any money, it would definitely be Homestead. Like, okay, very cool. It, it'll come. It'll probably come down to him and Larson, and who who can ride that wall long enough without gotta get tired down or something yeah <laughs> and if they're indeed changing martinsville it's like you know that's a whole new wild card if they make it different from the spring race so you know the path to phoenix is not always the best cars it's who wins those races yeah with yeah with martinsville with the whole shifting thing that mm. like surprised everyone in the spring what surprised me was that like when that everyone was reacting that i was like wait are they not supposed to be shifting at martinsville <laughs> I'd never know that I'd never crossed my mind that shifting at Martinsville, you're not supposed to be doing that. Mm. So I, I learned something new nice. uh, after, after following the sport for years. <laughs> <laughs> so, so who is your title pick? Oh, title winner. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll go with uh, Logano. Okay. All right. Get number two. All right. Yeah. Cool. That'd be cool. All right. So before I move on, uh, Alan, me and my my regular co-host John, we have a game on here uh -huh. where where we take uh, the Jeff Gluck Good Race Poll score each week, and then we pick a movie, and we have to we make the other person guess which is higher, the Good Race Poll or the movie's Rotten Tomato score. Okay. So I've chosen a movie for you, and you have to guess. So the the Good Race score for this race darlington was 93.5 so i'm rounding up to 94 so i, I need you to you, use your brain power did, did did critics like uh the 2017 christopher nolan movie dunkirk more or less than nascar fans liked the southern 500 on sunday so i'm going with less 
Go with less? Okay. Dunkirk got 92%. On oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you, That's you win. That's tough for a movie. Good for them. So, yeah. So, all right. I'm, turn, I'm, now, I'm now going into straight up interview mode with you, Alan. Okay. So, I, I can't remember the first time we met. I really, no. I really don't. So, we, 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 I feel like we're kind of like mirror images of each other in a way because we, we both got into the got into the sport covering it technically for tv partners of nascar i was with oh, nbc yeah. uh-huh. you, you you were with fox uh-huh. uh we, we both lost those jobs at some yeah. point well i mean i was with nascar.com and and all sorts of stuff before then but so, so but still we we had those responsibilities yeah uh, we, we we both started racing podcasts as, as a <laughs> as a in the last few years yours actually ended yeah uh, was it was it last year yeah, it so. ended at the end of last year because they uh, they hired the brain power away. For, yeah. They bought it, basically. They bought his brain. They bought David Smith's brain away from me. <laughs> and um, so we, 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 we got that going. We, we both also have employment with Speedsport now. Yeah. Um, you, you do some video stuff for them. Uh, and we both cheered for guys who drove black stock cars in the 90s. Okay. So, that's what, that's what the similarities are between you and me. <laughs> so, so you're from Connecticut, correct? Yeah. So, so, so how, how does a, a kid from Connecticut uh, get into NASCAR and latch on to Rusty Wallace, a driver from St. Louis? Oh, great questions. All right. So you can, uh, the background of my shot tells the whole story. This, ugh, my grandfather going over the wall. He was a champion sprint car driver. Uh, so okay. I am, uh, it is a family thing. He was a champion okay. sprint car driver in new England. He made one cup start. Actually. I did not know this. Oh, in I think I actually remember this. I think, I think you like tweeting about this 1951 Thompson speedway, uh, a follower on Twitter actually f- figured this out. He made a cup start. So that's cool. I'm the grandson of a cup series driver. So racing has been in the family. I, um, uh, my dad did it a little bit, uh, and then I did it. I did it growing up, you know. Instead of doing the uh, the, the little league, you know, basketball stuff, I, I drove quarter midgets. This right here is one of my first trophies from Wow T Thompson Speedway. I am the 1997 New England quarter midget champion in my weight class. You can't take that away from me. That is a fact. I did it. Man. So how is that not in your Twitter bio? Uh, I don't know. I should. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I, I feel like I brag on it enough. People should know anyway. Uh, but yeah, no. So I did that growing up, and it was a family deal. And then you either my standard joke is you either run out of talent or money. And so I just ran out of money. Definitely not talent. And uh, once that once that happened, you get you know grow older. You you have to make a choice to go into big cars and adult stuff. I didn't do that, but. I decided to be on or hope to be on the TV side and that worked out, went to school for it and, you know, worked hard. And would you believe it actually worked out? I covered racing cars for a living. <laughs> so, so what, what set you down that path? Why TV? <laughs> Great question. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, grew, I grew up an only child. And uh, so my, my go-to line is that my favorite <laughs> My entertainment, you know, uh, didn't have many people to play board games with when you're an only child. So I watched a lot of television and that was my entertainment. And I'm from that era and of that age where Sports Center was everything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, getting ready to go to school, dun 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 I mean, Sports Center, yep. there was no Twitter, you know, maybe you read the paper a little bit, but Sports Center was the thing. Everybody wanted to be that. And um, it was 1996, Syracuse University made the Final Four. And I remember Dickie V saying, oh, all those Syracuse grads at 
at ESPN, baby. And from that moment, I was like, I got to go there. And if I want to be on TV. And uh, so that's what I did. And it worked out and went to went to Syracuse. And uh, you, 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 you chose where you would spend four years of your life because Dickie V made it made a call out uh, yes. on, on, during a game. I did that when I was in middle school. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. OK, so what is the conversation like with your parents? Hey, mom, dad, I'm going to Syracuse. Why? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, they were very kind about it. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I gave them some options, right? I was realistic, but yes. So that time comes around. I was like, going to go to Cuse. Can't go anywhere else. I want to go there. When actual college time came around, I did allow myself to make some other visits uh, to Boston, to Ithaca, I think Marist and all those other places. And guess what? I mean, Syracuse has the reputation it does for a reason in terms of the television, in terms of the journalism program. And it was just head and shoulders above them all. So I did visit them. And once my parents saw it, they were like, yeah, this is sort of different here, isn't it? And I was like, yeah. And uh, so <laughs> thank goodness. And we were very blessed to work, work it out. So what, what point did you actually like do going through the whole college thing did you actually like come to the conclusion hey i'm actually good at tv i don't know i mean that's i don't know if you ever know that i mean that's why you go to school right i mean really i saw it as a trade school right i think journalism on camera stuff as a trade and that's where i saw that's why i wanted to go there because i really did see it as a trade school and the best trade, the best school for that trade, which is broadcast journalism. And so that I went there to learn it. And, and I did, you know, the morning announcements in high school and I did public affairs television where they'll let anybody on there uh, in high school. And uh, I think the first time Copacabana ever saw the light of day was on public access television in small town, Connecticut. And, uh, but that's why I went to Syracuse because I knew if I went there, you, you, you get, uh, it's like an immersion program w- between the mm-hmm. alumni and Really, it's, you know, it's the worst conditions in the world in terms of the temperature and the snow. And they're like, all right, go out and do it, kid. Right. It's October. It's raining. It's freezing. Here's a camera. Go make television. And you better uh, come back with all the equipment in the story. <laughs> and so from that aspect, again, I, I saw it as a trade school. And you have these professors that have done it before and been in the field. And uh, it worked out. And you just kept my, kept my nose to the grindstone. When I, when I went to grad school at Indiana. Mm-hmm. uh i quickly found out that for, it was just for one year uh quickly found out how how bad midwest winters are Ooh, yeah compared to here in northwest arkansas where we could get bad winters yeah but that this was like a deep freeze for weeks oh yeah and, and it, it was like this is our worst winter in 20 years oh great perfect timing for me my it, second it was, job was in Evansville, and I quickly learned that lesson. That, like, you get the almost the worst of all worlds because it's super hot in the summer. And then, like, Indianapolis, yeah. I remember going there for some stories, and it, it was 22 degrees. Like, how do you have both? Like, how do you have terrible summers and terrible winters? That was no fun for me when I learned that. So, no, like, it, this, this winter was so bad. When it finally, like, snapped and started getting warmer, like, it got to the, like, mid-40s one day. And for some reason, I deemed this warm enough to drive around Indianapolis with the car windows down. Sure, like, this man. is nice. This is great. I don't know what you're talking about. That was t-shirt weather in Syracuse. <laughs> that, that was what weather? T-shirt, oh, t-shirt weather. Oh, t- oh, t-shirt. Oh, wow. So, okay. So, so N- N- NASCAR. Yeah. So, R- R- Rusty Wallace. 
Oof. Why, why Rusty Wallace? Uh, it goes back to the 1993 Daytona 500. Uh, just, I mean, I naturally, you know, I was a young kid, but I was an Alan Kowicki fan. I like that name, obviously, the Hooters car. That was all cool. But when I saw Rusty Wallace flipping down the backstretch of Daytona, it just, something just like, holy shit. You know, I was like, that's amazing. And then he got out and he was fine. And then you're, you know, you're at that impressionable age. Rusty was really good. He won 10 races. So all of a sudden this driver that I'm like, that's amazing. Uh, is he any, you know, and then I'd watch the next week to see how he did. And he ended up, he, he, all he would do was win. It was like, this is yeah. awesome. I, this is my favorite guy ever. And I'm just, a yeah, very he, he's winning because I'm a fan. It's, it's, yeah. It's, well, it's, and I'm it's, just it's a loyal guy. Right. I mean, <laughs> I was right at that 10, 11 year old age where th- this person is winning all the time. He's my favorite. And then uh, I'm a very loyal guy after that. So I stuck with him and he, that is my Michael Jordan, Rusty Wallace. Michael Jordan. Like that's uh, fun, funny because my, I, I I can't pinpoint which I actually have a vivid memory of because my, my first memory of NASCAR is either going to my first race, which was the 97 uh, race at Texas, the inaugural mm-hmm. one. That was my first. Or it's when Dale Earnhardt flipped in the 97 Daytona 500. Nice. I, I don't know which one it is, which actually happened. So, but no, yeah, one of those earliest things like you is our guy flipping yeah. through the air down, down the back stretch at the Daytona 500. It's crazy. So, you know, whatever catches your eye, you know, you got to pick, everyone has to pick a driver no matter what it is. Yeah. And so it's, it's always something. So what is your defining Rusty Wallace like memory? Like, like, yes, that, 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 that's the day. That's the race that I will like cherish for Rusty Wallace. Well, I'm, I'm a very bitter fan because Rusty won a lot of races, but not many championships and never the big one. So when I uh, talk about Rusty a lot, it's me, you know, bitching about things that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> where should I start winning a third of the races in 1993 and not the championship total BS winning eight more races in 1994, no championship total bs uh the three times he finished second at the brickyard so much bs like i still three times three times wow oh yeah it's unbelievable i mean i i still hold i see joe nemechek or i think about that name and i still just my blood starts to boil because in 1995 it was a duel between him and dale earnhardt and rusty got pinned into his pit stall by a joe nemechek mishap and lost the race i I still think about these things it's insane all right so earnhardt was already an issue right then comes (laughs) this jerk this absolute terrible person named jeff gordon yeah yeah like one driver Okay, so this is what well, we are let, very let much me qualify. I mean, obviously he's not, but just in my head. But like, so one yeah, driver, yeah, Earnhardt's yeah. already ruining my life. And then this young up and coming jerk, <clears throat> Jeff Gordon, comes in and starts ruining my life even some more by knocking Rusty out of the way yeah. all the time. It's like, come on, man. Oh, no. So we are we are very much on the same page right now. Mm. Uh, because like, like I, I come along like in the mid, mid 90s, my, da- my dad's an Earnhardt fan. Mm. So because my dad was an Earnhardt fan, like I'm going to be an Earnhardt guy. So I... So this happens. I start at basically the worst time, 96-97, the absolute worst time yep, yep. to be a Dale Earnhardt fan because he wins in Atlanta in spring of 96, and then nothing. Yeah. Goose egg for, uh, until the 98-500. So he, he gets injured in 96, yep. and then 90, 97 comes along. So And you have Jeff Gordon winning 10 – 10 times each in 96, 97. 
and then 13 and 98. And I'm, you know, me and you, fan, fans of our guys in black, are just like kind of sitting over here, like going, come on. That just damn one? Jeff Gordon. That damn <laughs> Jeff Gordon. And he would knock Rusty out of the way at Bristol. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of my rusty memories are me being angry and bitter. I'm learning, but that's still cool. But what, <laughs> my, my, one of my favorites is, Hey, at least in my head, at least, I mean, last laugh. I mean, yeah, I'm sure Jeff Gordon's really thinking about this, but rusty's last win yeah. at Martinsville. And it came because Jeff Gordon was dominating the race and a huge chunk of concrete happened to come up from the track and go right through Jeff Gordon's grill ruining his day setting the stage <laughs> for rusty wallace's final victory and that will always be a sweet cherry on top of a career <laughs> how, how many how many times did rusty win at martinsville it was a it was quite a few i, I mean a lot i mean he was a short track i don't know the name the number yeah. specifically but you know 55 career wins pretty good pretty good <laughs> what, what was what was the first death race you went to or that you remember going to no, first, I mean, I didn't go to, a, that, that's what's funny. I didn't go to a NASCAR race until 2003. I grew up racing, went to all sorts of short tracks, but the first race I ever went to, I worked for Fox Sports. Um, it was part of uh, this, you got time for a story? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, uh, so 2003, I'm at Syracuse. I'm trying to further, or I'm thinking about, you know, my career, how I'm going to get there, yada, yada, yada. One thing Syracuse was good about was bringing alumni back and having, you know, these opportunities to talk to players, people who had done things in the business. And the president of Fox Sports at the time, a guy named Ed Gorn, was a Syracuse alum, and he was coming back to talk to, you know, the students. And so there we are. I skip class. I go to this, you know, he's talking about being the president of Fox Sports. And at the end, he goes, anybody have any questions? Now, imagine all these people that want to have a, a business, a life, a career in sports television, all these sports center wannabes, I would call them. Uh, he goes, does anyone have any questions? No one raises their hand. And I'm like, what are you idiots doing? So I raised my hand. This is 2003, right? And I go, yeah. he goes, yes. And I go, did you end the 2003 Daytona 500 early so you could show the Simpsons? That's what I asked him. And he goes, no, smart ass. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like whoa. Because if you remember that race, it ended under rain because the Simpsons, it was the 300th episode of the Simpsons, I believe that was supposed to come on. So they didn't go back to green. Anyway, at the end, I go at the end of all the questions, it was the one I got it started. People started answering questions more, but I go up to him and I say, Mr. Gorn, my name's Alan Kavana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really love NASCAR. I would love to work for you one day. And I try to give him, you know, I give him a, a, hand, a, a VHS tape. He's like, I don't want your VHS tape. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> but he goes, do you want to work at a NASCAR race? I'm like, absolutely. And he gave me his card in front of everybody. I'm the only one who got a card that day. And wow. he said, call this number, yada, yada, yada. Fast forward a few months, I'm working the Dover race in 2003. I am a runner, which means I am filling the food bowl for Mike, Daryl, and Larry. Wow. So the first race I ever saw in terms of NASCAR race was in the booth. Think about that. And so I started off in a high place, and uh, it was a, a, a fulfilling career, start to a career. So, so, so like, okay, now what are the memories of that race? Like, what, what, was, go what was like going on in the booth? What was it like? Oh, the booth was cool. I mean, to see the the upper echelon of uh, of racing and to start there, I remember, you know, 
Mike Joy likes those little fruit snacks. I remember having to go get their ice cream order from Friendly's down the street, <laughs> little <laughs> things like that. Um, I just remember a lot of the everyone being really, really nice. Um, and one, one thing I do remember is because I'd raced quarter midgets, this whole thing, Aaron Crocker, who's now Aaron, Aaron Everham, uh, married to Ray Everham. She was a racer mm -hmm. back then climbing up the ladder. They were talking about her on air for some reason. And, um, I remember Mike Joy asking, what is her brother's name? Like to the producers. And I used to race with her and I used to race with that family. And like, from the back, I go, his name is Seth. <laughs> and Mike Joy looks back and like, oh, our booth guy, Alan Kavana says her name's, you know, Seth Crocker. I was like, oh my God, like my name was just on air. Like Mike Joy was very cool about that. <laughs> All right. So, so a, your first time at a, at a NASCAR race is a, is a runner. Yes. So, so, okay. How old are you at this point? Oh, uh, 2003 20 years old all right okay so junior 20, in college so, like going junior to senior year or maybe sophomore to senior year something like that so, so okay so within the next year so you graduate so yes. what's 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 the next what's the first thing after college for you uh i was fortunate three or four weeks after college i was moving out to the middle of nowhere joplin missouri sight unseen never seen the place before probably applied to 100 jobs and one returned one said yes and uh i drove is, out there i feel i feel like that's always the story yeah oh, it's always only one responded only takes one and joplin for those that don't know is right where uh, uh arkansas missouri kansas and oklahoma all come together for a cultural center of the universe and that's where i moved yep that that's I, and i'm coming to you live from that cultural center yeah man <laughs> like it's 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 just like what an hour hour or so maybe north from here Yep. So, and, and little thing, they, they little, you know, that was the home of Jamie McMurray, Jamie right? McMurray. And so I was able to convince them to like, and, you know, one of my best friends in the whole world, he gave me this Buffalo Bills helmet he, uh, right there last year. Unfortunately, he's passed on, but, uh, mm -hmm. and he's holding the camera in this picture right here. My buddy, Gary, uh, I love him. Uh, he was a huge, huge NASCAR fan. So here I come, this kid from the Northeast, right? This guy, he looks like Yosemite Sam, and is, he's got this brash attitude, and he's an Earnhardt fan. And I come oh. in saying, hey, guys, here I come. You know, I got a little, you know, this high-pitched college kid. Yeah, you know, big eyes, bright dreams. And he's like, you like NASCAR? You know, one of those, like, trying to win, <laughs> you know, trying to think, like, who the hell are you to like NASCAR? And I won this guy over, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> me and Gary, and I convinced them, like, hey, why don't we go to Kansas? Let's cover the race up there. Went up to Kansas, covered a few races up there. First Daytona 500 I ever went to. It's because I convinced the people in Joplin. It, it was 2006, and McMurray had just switched from Ganassi to Roush. So it was like, mm. this is big news for Joplin's Jamie McMurray. Why don't we go to the Daytona 500 and cover it? And they're like, sure. So we drove a Pontiac vibe all the way from Joplin to Daytona and covered the Daytona 500. And, uh, you know, little things like that. It was like crazy. And so each time I moved to a different job, I was a news guy. I was not a sports guy. Oh, okay. So each, but each time I would go to a new city, I'd be like, I would talk to the sports people and be like, hey, I know NASCAR. So if there's ever a NASCAR thing, uh, I'd love to help you because a lot of people just didn't know NASCAR. So, okay. So I, I never knew that. I didn't know you actually started as a just straight news. Yeah, guy. no, I, I only did news in Joplin, in Evansville, Indiana. And then when I got to Charlotte, the way I got to Charlotte was because of news in terms of, uh, you know, on the TV ladder, if you will, 
there are far more news jobs than there are sports jobs. So just logically, mm-hmm. I was like, if I'm going to climb the ladder and make it to Charlotte the fastest, it's going to be with a news job because for every one sports job, there's probably 10 news reporter jobs. So I got to Charlotte being a news reporter and even here at Channel 9 in Charlotte being a news reporter there. So when, when did you start there? Uh, 2008, May, of, May or June of 2008. So, so, what, so what was it like for you as this kid of the 90s, of kid, 90s NASCAR finally like arriving at the epicenter? So this, this, at this point, so late, so late in your life. Yeah, but no, I'm not. I wasn't that late. I was 25. Oh, and... you know, oh, you, you like it, it, you're you're right. Uh, just that you're you're arriving at the episode just just this far in. Like, yeah, man, you, it it only made so... me hungrier because I made it this far. It's like you better not fail now. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you're already there. Once you get to Charlotte, what are you gonna do about it? And uh, so it only made me hungrier. And from that point, you're just working from within. So I could start going to. I remember you know, they don't know you're not a sports guy, right? So I probably on my own covered 10 or 12 races because I was a media member from Charlotte. I could call up these tracks and get a pass and be like, hey, WSOC yeah. is going to come cover this race. So I drove my ass to Richmond, to Atlanta, to Talladega, to Bristol, to Martinsville, Darlington, like I, Daytona, all with these media passes, covering them, thank goodness for Twitter, covering them via Twitter. And... uh <laughs> You know, and I didn't get on camera a lot, but I met a lot of people, right? I got my face around to some people. Um, and it made me, you know, at least in that world, sort of a recurring face and recognizable person that would show up in the media center. And then uh, Jeremy Mayfield changed my life. And uh, that got me. Changed, a, okay. I, I, Jeremy Mayfield changed your life? Jeremy Mayfield changed my life when he tested positive for methamphetamine. Okay. So, so yeah. Okay. Big story NASCAR story. <laughs> Big NASCAR story, but also big news story, right? Not just a sports story, big news story in Charlotte. Who's the news guy at Channel 9 that knows racing? This guy. I get to cover it, right? I got the first on-camera interview with Jeremy Mayfield. That gets played on SportsCenter. That gets played on Sirius. That gets played on Speed. And so, you know, right place, right time, very fortunate. And um, so, again... On Twitter, I'm a NASCAR guy. I start doing, you know, the interviews. The people at Speed are like, why does this local reporter have this interview? And we don't, you know, that that gets some traction and that paid off later on. And again, it, it worked out. If Jeremy Mayfield doesn't stop in his driveway and do an interview was, with me, my life is totally different. Well, I was about to ask, so I was, how, how did you land it? So it was just like, just timing. You luck. Were just like. Luck and preparation, right? So I'm uh, I'm out there covering it, uh, telling the story of what's going on. And, and, you know, think about any local news report you've seen. Uh, a lot of people don't want to answer, don't, you know, answer your interview request. So you do that thing like, well, we showed up at his house and Jeremy didn't want to talk like that. So we were getting prepared to do that. I'm at the end yeah. of his driveway. I got the microphone on, thankfully. The ph- photographer Bray is all ready. We're, we're going to do that thing. Like we came to Jeremy's house to get, you know, asking questions ourselves and there was no answer. That's what I'm preparing to do. All of a sudden, a truck pulls up, a pickup truck pulls into the driveway. We're like, oh, you know, was it security? Is it a friend going to run us off? Because he hadn't talked to many people. The tinted window rolls down. It's Jeremy Mayfield. And here I am with my microphone, the camera running. And I don't know what inspired it, but performing under pressure that day 
I'll give myself a pat on the back because I knocked it out of the park. I don't know how, what came over me, but I had about 30 seconds with him, asked him three pointed questions, which he answered. The camera was rolling. All of it went perfect. And it set me apart. It set me on a different path. Wow. Jeremy Mayfield, Jeremy Mayfield in 30 seconds changed my life. Yes. I mean, if the camera is off, if the, if it, the microphone's off, if the battery's dead, none of that happens. And everything wow. in that moment worked out. I don't know how, but I'm very fortunate. So, uh, so right, right now, like what I know, I know you used, you used to have the podcast with, with David Smith. So like right now, like what all is on your like buffet right now that you do like in a given week? Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm just for hire. So, I mean, blessed, you know, I had my experience at Fox and that, mm. that goes how it goes, unfortunately. And so now I'm, I'm freelance and still, but still blessed to be making a living off race cars. So I, uh, I do work for Speed Sport every week. I do work for NASCAR.com every week. We just got a new show called Inside the Race that's coming on. I do the preview show for them. Uh, we do stuff about pit road. Uh, I work for, I do cover iRacing. That's a whole new world that I've uh, opened my eyes to and been fortunate to be a part of that. The Coke series and, and the teams and drivers that are a part of that. What else do I do? I fill in on Sirius sometimes. Uh, I do PRN. Uh, I'll be in Bristol, you know, on pit road for PRN. Uh, it, it, I've done dirt vision this year, learned so much about that world. And I'm doing that again in September. Uh, so look, if, if it's racing and broadcasting and you want to hire me, I will do it and I enjoy it. <laughs> All right. So I, I, I started Googling you this little while earlier and I typed in Alan Kavana and the first thing that popped up in, in the auto population, whatever was Alan Kavana wife. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, so you're 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 married to a reporter for cnn yep correct correct so, what what's her name uh diane diane gallagher diane. okay um, so i'm curious like you're, you're a journalist you're married to a journalist yep what's that like what, what is the dynamic of sharing a household with a fellow journalist yeah a lot because of... i know my, my 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 former colleague at nbc sports nate ryan he's also married yeah to a journalist so i'm curious like how does that work for you guys well i mean we we understand a lot about each other's lives right and uh you know we both met on the job we were both local news reporters in charlotte so we understand okay. that grind that that ladder climb and we've both been fortunate to you know really climb high in the business uh together it wasn't easy uh we you know, she, we lived apart. We, we've been married five plus years. We've lived together about 18 months. You know what I mean? Like, oh, wow. Her, first time we ever lived together was during when the pandemic set in. Uh, she lived in DC, you <laughs> wow. know, she lived in DC and Atlanta and I stayed in Charlotte and I just made a lot of commutes, but we made that work because we understood the job, right? Uh, I understand that at any moment's mm -hmm. notice, she may get called away because it happens all the time, right? She understands that I have to travel to racing. Uh, so from that aspect, it, it's really simple. It's, you know, people are like, how do you do it? It's like, well, we both understand each other's jobs. If I had a nine to mm -hmm. five and, and worked at the bank, no, I wouldn't understand. Or I may be annoyed if she gets called at a moment's notice and suddenly has to get on an airplane. Like I wouldn't understand that mindset or that, that life, but yeah. we both do it. So I, I certainly understand. Well, what's it like? I guess for like the last 18 months or so, what's it been like, like matching up your schedules? And oh, stuff? no, especially it's with, awesome. Especially with, especially with NASCAR. 
it's you know 36 races a year and all that like what's what's that like coordinating everything yeah well at least that schedule is set right like we know the nascar schedule we can plan that travel out ahead of time you know her and job in the news business honestly at any moment can change Mm -hmm. uh you know she could get a call right now and i have to take her to the airport or we have to go to the airport immediately um that can happen at any moment so but you just you learn to live with it because th- those are what we signed up for. Like we both knew that going yeah. in, right? I, I wasn't surprised to marry a, a, a high level journalist who has to travel all the time. Like this didn't blow my mind. Like I knew what I was getting into. We both did. So I'm curious with with your former podcast that you had, mm-hmm. what is a topic that you wish you could have covered on that podcast this year that you just Ooh. weren't able to given the circumstances? That's a good question. I miss it, man. Positive regression was so good. And I I miss it because I learned so much from it, Mm -hmm. right? I was not the brains behind the podcast. I was simply had the benefit uh, and the opportunity to to be the host. Uh, David Smith was the man, right? He created, uh, really, he created motorsports analytics, uh, you know, the, the, the website, but also how you think of things, how you measure things, how you measure drivers and what they're doing out there. And so I learned so much from him. And having the benefit to pick his brain every week was my favorite part of it. You know, I, I missed the data that he would bring about restarts, about efficient passing, like who's really doing good stuff out there in terms of uh, some people are better at passing than others. There just are. Mm-hmm. And, and he has metrics and ways to measure all that that I would learn from. So I, I just miss all of it. And what essentially happened is, you know, he was very popular in the garage. And so was our <laughs> podcast because it had he had information and knowledge that we would talk about. That, that people didn't have in the garage. So Brad Kozlowski, when he starts Roush Fenway Racing, uh, Roush Fenway Kozlowski Racing, he hired David. He hired all that brain power. Now it is all harnessed by Roush Fenway Kozlowski Racing and they'll benefit from it. That's cool. Well, I, I've, I, I, wish, I wish the podcast was still around because I would love to hear what you guys or what David would come up with, with to measure how much did Kyle Larson benefit last year from that 550 package hmm. like compare like he, the drop-off for him this year has been just incredible i, I know a lot of it can be like the next gen car hmm. but he had 10 wins last year he has two this year uh, and I, I, wanted, I would love to know like how much can you attribute that to a specific rules package like the 550 where it's hard to pass once you get up front you're kind of just there and no one can really get by you so if you ever have a reunion podcast episode, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that'd be to be that one. Yeah, I miss it. And we, yeah, we would dissect that all the time. The good 550 drivers, the good 750 drivers, because a lot of it matters. Uh, well, last year it did matter. You know, what, what type of track was Phoenix? I think yeah. it was, you know, 750 track. So, uh, you know, where to focus and all that stuff. But yeah, I miss those weekly conversations because it made me a lot smarter. Are, are you, do you consider yourself a math guy? No, I was always good at math. I don't know what, what you're asking me to do, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm better than the average person, but I, you know, no. Uh, I'm sorry, like, because it's like positive regression, that just, that involves math and stuff. And yeah. I, uh, so I'm not, I'm not a numbers yeah. Well, guy. as he would say, analytics, it's analyzing data, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of numbers, but you're looking for the story that those numbers tell. That's what David was really good at. He mm-hmm. could find the story, and then I would just help translate it into more of English because he was you know, on another level. So, and you know, to pull that story from the numbers, all that data really does tell a story. 
and that's what we were good at. All right. Well, Alan, I think that's all I got for you uh, this week. I, I'm really glad you came on. I've been wanting to have you on for a while. Thanks, so man. I appreciate really glad, it. Glad we could do this. So I'm glad um, we're both still doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're trying. <laughs> we're trying. So. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> so yeah. So Alan, th thank you for joining me. This has been Dropping the Hammer. I'm Dale McFadden. I will talk to you guys next week. See you then.